The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Pastor Chris Martinez and I pastored at the same church in different locations in Oceanside and North San Diego County together, and uh, he'll share his story with you. But, um, but the short, quick version is that, uh, that baby Christopher, Chris's son, passed away. And it was kind of the first time that we had to deal with this as a church. And uh, one of the elders brought us through this story. And so I thought this was really relevant because this is one of the first times that, that we had to deal with something so difficult and tragic and walk somebody very close through this. And there's a couple things I want to point out about this scripture because it can kind of not make sense on the surface. But what we see here is is David has just sinned. You might remember the story of David and Bathsheba, uh, where he sees her bathing on the rooftop. He actually brings her in. They sleep together. She gets pregnant. Uh, David actually uh, uh, sends her husband off to be killed. The forces, specifically, they end up, uh, David murders him, and then he takes Bathsheba as his wife. And so God calls him out in his sin. The firstborn baby is the one that we're talking about here. That baby passes away. Uh, uh, but the incredible redeeming side of this story is that the next baby they have is a baby called Solomon who actually ends up being the next in line for the throne. God redeems that relationship out of that brokenness. But there's something really interesting here, and that is that David is so broken that he's mourning. He's literally on the floor, like, crying out, and he's in this incredible mourning to the place where his people are afraid to say anything to him because he might do something desperate. That, that literally is talking about suicide. They're really afraid that he might take his own life. This is that honest, that desperate of a moment. But he does something weird. When the baby dies, he gets up and he starts celebrating. The words that are described there is actually like he, he anoints his head with oil and, 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 and cleans his beard and he puts on celebration clothes. And this is the confusion that his staff is having. They're like, what is wrong with you? You're mourning when the baby's still alive and all of a sudden you're celebrating when the baby dies. This makes no sense. And we have this line that David says, you know, I was hoping that God might change his mind, and so I was in this sense of pleading and this, this, this sense of mourning ahead of time. And so it's like, well, then why would you celebrate? And what he says is, because I know that he can't come back to me, but here's this line of hope. I'm going to go to him. And so David had this understanding that in Christ there is salvation, that in, in God there is this future. It's not ending right here. And this hope that David had was, I know I can look to the future, and I will be with my son once again. And that hope really is a hope that we have. That is really the crux of all this. And there's a reason we can share these sad, these hard scriptures, because they all lead to hope. They don't end there. If it ended there then this wouldn't be much of anything for us. This world would be really difficult to bear. Does that make sense? You guys with me? And so let's practically talk about how we live that out. And so again, Pastor Chris Martinez, thank you so much for being with us this morning. We appreciate you. I've got a couple questions for you that will kind of help us lead into this. But before we do, um, these are some big topics. These are some deep topics. There's no way we're going to get to everything in 35 minutes here. And so I know that you volunteer to be around after service. Uh, you'll hang around on the stage. If anybody wants to come and talk to you, 
they're more than welcome to, right? You've made yourself available. Uh, we'll, we'll give that opportunity for you to be here. We also have a biblical counseling department here we'd love to make available to you. And so if any of this brings up stuff in your life, this is triggering for anything else, we understand that. That's not bad. It's really healthy to bring this stuff up and talk about it and wrestle through it. It's cathartic to discuss these things. And so we want to make sure that you know there's places for you if you should need. Amen? Amen. Good. All right, so, so Chris, uh, where does your Job story begin? First of all, Jared, thanks for already like, killing my story. I, yeah, yeah well, you guys know the ending already. Um, no, but again, uh, one of the things that I've, I've just learned um, just being as a pastor and always like that idea that feeling like you're immune if, to any problems if you're a pastor or if you're a Christ follower and thinking well, there, there can't be anything that goes wrong if you follow Christ, right? Um, and uh, there, there's, a, there's a scripture that, that God kind of continued to remind me um, kind of in the beginning, even before uh, we even learned about our son. And it's a, it's a scripture, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's, it's, it's one that you probably go, oh, I know this one, ah, easy. Uh, you know, but it basically reminds us that we need to trust the Lord uh, with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. And then uh, in, in that, that we also need to also submit or to acknowledge him in all of our ways and that he will make our paths straight. And when you, when you think of that, you're like, okay, I know I need to trust God, but it's those moments is where that's where I believe as Christ followers, God can really challenge you with, because what does it really mean to follow him? And so my Job story kind of began a couple of years before we went and planted our church. It started where my wife and I, we were student ministry. Uh, I was a student ministry pastor. We were praying over our first home. We were excited about kind of what God was going to be doing um, in our city. And so we knew that the place that God had put us in uh, was exactly where God wanted us to be. And so the day uh, that we got the keys to our house, uh, I, first thing I watched in the morning, I was watching the news and I saw, hey, we're out here on this corner in this corner. And there was a drive-by shooting of a 15-year-old uh, boy named Peter. And I just remember sitting back and going, what streets did they say? And then I went, that's in front of my house. And I just went back and I just remember going there and, and I see this group of students, these group of people, and I'm getting the keys from our realtor and said, this is your house. And I'm going, do I have to take it? Can I give it back? And God is basically saying, no, you need to be here right now in this time. And one of the things I just remember thinking is that fear and thinking, okay, God, why did you bring me here? Because I, I, we prayed of this place. We thought it was really safe. Um, and the one thing that he kept on saying was, you need to get to know your neighbors. And you see in our homes, they're called patio homes. And what basically is this, there's no front door. And so there's no way to really get to know your neighbors unless they're out in front of their house. And so uh, what we began to do was with the families that were out just weeping out in front of our house. And then the neighbors that were coming out going, this never happens here. Uh, my wife and I, we just began to start meeting people. Well, slowly, I start, that developed into starting an after-school program at a school that just opened up uh, across the street from our house as well and saying, hey, this student actually came from that middle school, was in freshman in high school afterwards. But what we decided to do was start an after-school program that was starting to help kids connect them with trades because my whole goal was, how do we get kids out of this valley in the city of Oceanside? And even in that year, uh, the, the middle school that we were in was known as the most violent middle school in all of Oceanside. Side. And so kids were transferring out, tons of fights happening every day. And God said, hey, and, and then all of a sudden, an introduction of a pastor, not Jared, but this gentleman named Sean. And, and he came up to me and said, hey, we heard that, that, there, that you're a pastor living in this 
community. And we want to help start a church in this valley of Oceanside. And so he'd asked me saying, hey, would you be willing to uh, start a church? And we we're like, all right, let's see if we can figure this thing out. We, we had to go and say, okay, God, we had to pray about it and we had to trust him. But in that process was when we decided to go ahead and plant a church. And so on September 13th of 2009, my wife and I, after praying through it, we, we stepped out and we had our very first launch service of our church plant. And we were excited. We were pumped. We had this core team. We were saying, God, you're so good. I mean, again, everything was ready to go. We knew that this was the right place, the right timing. Um, and then within four weeks of our opening, uh, I'm not sure if you guys remember, but back in 2009, there was this pandemic called the H1N1 flu, the swine flu. And so my son contracted this swine flu. And so in the middle of that, one month into it, I'm taking my son to uh, the doctors in the hospital and, we, and we're going, hey, what's going on? Why does he have this high fever? And sure enough, they said he has H1N1 flu. But in the meantime, we asked them if they could also check his belly because we also noticed he had this little lump in his stomach. And they said, sure, we'll check it out. They looked at it and they thought, oh, we think he also has pneumonia. So we're gonna have to take him to Children's Hospital. And so my wife and I were in Children's Hospital. We're in an isolated room because we had to stay away from everybody else. Uh, the, sh the hospital is shut down and we're sitting there and we see this team of doctors that start walking in. And what we started to realize, it was not only our doctor, it was also an oncologist. It was also a patient representative. And what they told us in that moment was that our son had stage four cancer. And so when we sat back and I just remember thinking, okay, God, stage four cancer. And I remember specifically asking at that point, we were pretty novices and asking, so how many stages are there? And he goes, this is the final stage. And I'm thinking he's nine months old. How is it that, that this can happen? And I just remember kind of asking God or actually kind of asking those questions, why me? Why him? Why now? Why this family? I feel like this is our opportunity. We were faithful to you, God. You asked us to kind of call and plant this church, which we, in essence, thought this was our baby. But then also him just being able to remind us, are you going to trust me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding? Are you going to acknowledge or surrender yourself to me? And are you going to be able to do that? And as I began to start realizing what God was putting me in in that season, that's when I started to realize, okay, God, one, through weeping, not even being able to read my Bible, God was just being able to feed the scriptures that I was only memorizing years previous. But I remember sitting back and thinking, all right, God, what are you going to do? Because I was angry. I was thinking, God, I was supposed to be playing this church that a month ago, and now you have me in a hospital. That's when God began to start teaching me what he was doing. And in the middle of this H1N1 flu season, what happened was the hospitals were shut down. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that, but the idea was that the hospitals were shut down and only parents were allowed to be in this hospital. So what that told me was, as I was walking to the ICU room to go see my son each day, I would see parents weeping in the hallways and realizing that these were not visitors, these were actual parents dealing with the same type of issues with their kids. And I remember God challenging me as I would walk past them and thinking, all right, man, that stinks, they're crying, but I'm walking to it. And God would challenge me and say, you need to turn around and you need to go and pray with these families. And so as I'm dealing with already the grief of, of learning about my son's cancer, but also the anger of not being able to go back to my church and thinking, God, I'm supposed to be doing church in Oceanside, not down here in San Diego. 
but what God was actually teaching me saying, I need you here right now. And slowly God began to start introducing me and over a course of seven months, that's when I started to begin to realize that God was beginning to deliver a ministry in an area, of, uh, an area that I was not able to be there if I didn't have a sick child. And so God began to start introducing me to families and slowly as I began to pray for these families and pray with these families, um, God began to do something really interesting in those final months. And what he started to do was there was this one, I remember this one gentleman that I just started to develop this relationship with and started a Bible study with and started to actually get to know who he was. And one day as I was sitting in my own room in the ICU room talking with the hospital chaplain and I'm sitting there and I remember the nurse walking in and God and and the nurse going, "Uh, Javier's dad needs you in his room right now. And I'm going, And then the the hospital chaplain says, oh, I'll be right there. And she goes, no, not you, Chris. And I just remember thinking, what are you doing, God? And as I walk into his ICU room, his son began to take his last breaths. And I started going and I started seeing this father weep over his son. And I just started thinking, God, what are you doing? What are you doing? And slowly what I began to start realizing was is that he put me in that place so that I can begin to learn what a father needed to do to grieve and to be able to encourage a father and how to grieve and how to encourage his son as his son was lying there. And I'm thinking, what are you doing, God? Seven months into the process, um, the doctors basically said, there's nothing else that we can do. And they asked us the question, would you like to bring him home? And I just remember thinking, God, what are you doing? And I just remember sitting back with my wife and having to make this decision. What do you want to do? Do you want to keep him here? Do you want to bring him home? And I just remember saying, we need to bring him home because even our girls weren't allowed into our hospital room. And we had two older, he had two older siblings. And I just remember um, there was a, he, he was home with us for about four nights. And God just challenged me. Tell him your stories, Chris. And I just remember simply going and just sharing all of my favorite Bible stories, not reading because I still couldn't read. And I was just remember just telling him everything. And there was this moment on his last night that I remember praying for him. And God, I had never said this prayer in the entire seven months that we were battling. And I remember saying these words, not my will, but yours be done. And I just remember my wife and I sleeping on both sides of him on the couch and fell asleep. And as we woke up, he began to start taking his last breaths. And I just remember thinking distinctly, God, can I take that prayer back? Because I think he was waiting for me to arrive at a point to say, do you really trust me? Do you really trust me with what I'm doing right now? And I think that that moment was where I believe that God has now prepared me over the last 11 years for what he's been doing. Yeah. I remember those days vividly. Hmm. Those, were, those were hard times. And, and it's, I think in some senses, I appreciate, I, I don't want to pass over, I guess, when you say that you were, hurt and angry, and, and we're looking back 11 years later now with some sense of, um, uh, you know, you're living in your new normal, but, but it was much more chaotic than that in those moments, wasn't it? Okay. It, was, it was much more difficult. Talk to me for just a second. Y- you were really angry with God, and, and, um, 
and hurt and felt betrayed, I think are some of the words that we talked about before. Um, how, how did you feel like God responded to you in those moments? I mean, not looking back now, but in that moment, what, what do you feel like was, was kind of God's answer to you in that hurt and that anger right in that moment? Yeah. Um, so so this, is, this is the part where, I, one, I appreciate Jared doing this moment because I think we don't get enough of the hard moments in church where we just share like our anger and we share our hurts and we share the things like what God is doing. And, I, and there's this, I call it this because it was like, there was a very distinct moment where I believe that God was challenging me in my own faith. So I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor at that point for about 12 years. And I remember very distinctly, like God challenged me in this and saying, this is kind of my, my put up or shut up moment. If I was going to be a pastor, if I was going to just trust him, am I going to actually believe it? So when I'm reading these words, when I'm reading this out of this Bible, do I actually really believe that the things that are actually going to be difficult in my life, do I really trust that he's going to walk me through that? And I just remember, one, do, am I going to give up? One, there was also this idea of financially, God, we just launched this church. How are we going to keep this thing going? And just there was just constant questions. God, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do this? And there's so many questions. And actually in those moments where I, at times we would feel like we just walked down the hallways blank and empty. But at the same time, then God would just like switch that and saying, hey, you need to stay focused on me. And that's where God would begin to open those doors, open those moments. And what I also started to realize is that in that brokenness, there's passages like 2 Corinthians 12, 9, as he's reminding the church at Corinth that, that, my, you know, that, that he's talking first. He kind of goes through this idea of how he's been beaten and he's got this thorn in his side. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with that passage, but he's saying three times I pleaded with the Lord, take this from me. And this was Jesus's response. And I feel like this is the same response that God challenged me with. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. You see, I think sometimes we think that as Christ followers, we have to have the presence of power or the presence of, hey, I, this is easy, when actually I think the opposite is true. I think when we show authenticity and we show our brokenness and we show, hey, I am not doing okay, that that was when God begins to start showing his power. And what I actually realized, hindsight was, within the first year, our church plant should have shut down. We started it in a pandemic. My son had stage four cancer. I was in and out of the hospital for seven months. I was a grieving dad. I was a, I was a grieving husband. I was a grieving pastor. I was a grieving man. And I couldn't do anything. And in the middle of that, God sent people like Jared and other pastors to lead from the pulpit. I had to yield to it. And I would be back in the back of the room just with my son holding him as I would hear God's word and just allow those to be reminders that he goes, he was with us. And in that first year, God grew the church the fastest it ever did in those first seven years that I was the lead pastor of it. And I started to realize, man, God, I know that I need to trust you. And I know that your healing and that trust and that healing go hand in hand. And I couldn't heal my wife. I couldn't heal my children. And I couldn't heal myself. But I knew that God must be the source of my healing. But I'll be honest with you. I'm saying this 11 years down the road. 
in the middle of it, it didn't feel like healing. I felt like I was in pain. I felt like in those moments where my wife and I, actually something that Jared did, which was pretty incredible, he, he caught that moment when, when, when after our son had passed that my wife and I, we were at each other's throats. We were, we were angry because she, and, and I'm saying this in this moment, that all she could do was just lay down in her bed. And I was angry. I was like, what are you doing? Why, why could, let's get up. Let's go and do something. And me, I, I'm a man. I'm trying to figure things out. And instead, what we were doing is we were grieving differently, but we were trying to, we were butting heads thinking that each other needed to grieve the way the other person needed to grieve and not give permission. And I remember that Jared specifically sought out an amazing counselor to help us walk through that grief. And I'll be honest with you, 11 years into this, I'm still grieving because I know that in this process, God is showing so many different ways that he is, he's showing what to do with this pain. And so God has been able to work through that. And, and at this point, he's teaching me to be able to surrender quicker in these moments. And my wife and I are able to have this amazing victory because I, and I forget the percentage, but they're saying that marriages after a child loss, that it's like 70 or 80% separate after that loss. And God has sustained our marriage 11 years in and now 21 years into our marriage. Yeah. And so God's been good. That. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I think that brings up some good points. The, the, you know, I like to call it the theology of failure, that we as Christians don't have enough theology of failure, that we tend to, because we're not, we don't really believe in our gospel identity, we, we hold on to this idea that if things are going wrong, we must have done something wrong, right? And this is really what the book of Job is saying is not the case, that there's things that God brings up in our life in order to shape and mold us into who we are, the things that God uh, doesn't cause but allows to happen and then turns those things into things that are beneficial for us and for the kingdom as hard as he might be. And, and again, we may never get answers as to why those things happen this side of heaven. So uh, what are some things you would say, maybe a, a couple really uh, quick but key lessons that, uh, that you learned through your brokenness and then how is God using your story now? Yeah. Um, so, so one, um, man, I, I, I still consider myself the weeping pastor uh, because every time that I would remember uh, being called to go back up to preach afterwards, um, I remember standing in the pulpit. One, as the, as the worship songs are going, like, oh, this is so awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then it was like I knew when it was my turn, and I felt like I wanted to run. And I remember thinking, I got to go up there. And as I was reading God's word, I remember thinking, I don't want to do this. And then I would just begin to weep as I would read God's word and he would reassure me why he had me up there. And I just remember thinking at one time, gosh, this is probably a year into preaching and weeping. Um, and, I, and I would always apologize. And someone came up to me after one of our messages and, and said, you need to stop crying at, or you need to stop apologizing. Not stop crying. That's, that's, the, that's not the opposite of there. You need to stop crying. You need to suck it up, pastor. No. Uh, <laughs> It was a great um, church. Yeah, it was a great church. And, but but <laughs> I'm no longer at that church. So, um, But I just remember saying, you need to stop apologizing for crying. And I just remember sitting there and realizing, because then they said, what you're doing is you're helping me grieve as well. 
And what I started to figure out was that sometimes that's where that passage in 12.9, when it's like, in my weakness, he's, his power is made there. And the strength comes from our weaknesses. Because I started to realize that as a pastor, as shepherd who wanted to bring healing, it wasn't just through his words, but it was also through my brokenness. And then, then that's when there's a reminder that God began to start really using my story in an incredible way. In the last passage in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, I, I learned this passage, one just reading, but also it's used in Celebrate Recovery, is that there's this passage that says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. So that, there's the so that, that's the hard part, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And so what God began to do, and I moved to Tracy, uh, Northern California, about five years ago, and I was thinking, okay, God, what are you going to do in this story? What new thing are you going to use in my story? And within the first year of my moving up there, God put me in this neighborhood with a neighbor who was going to our church whose daughter died. I just remember thinking, really, God? And he's like, yes, I'm not done with your story. And that that was not the first time. And then actually, as I begin to start uh, developing life groups and everyone's in community, and I was always talking about doing life together. And after a few years in our life group, I started to realize that three quarters of the people, not intentionally, in our life group had lost children or lost a child while in our life group. So the key is not to go to your life group. That's, <laughs> that's what I'm getting. Don't join our life group. But yeah, so like now they're like, that's the not that in the group that you want to join. But no, <laughs> the, the the reality was is I started to realize that when I wanted to hide my pain and I wanted to kind of kind of say no more, God's saying I'm not done with it. You need to continue to share your story. And then I became a chaplain just a few years ago to our local police department because I wanted to find out what can I do to help serve my community. And over the last year during this pandemic, God, and, when, and I'm, a, I'm an on-call chaplain, so once a month I'm on call. But for this last year, God has brought me five call outs with people who have lost children. And I keep thinking, God, you have brought me to these moments so that you've comforted me, but now I can comfort you. Comfort, not comfort you, comfort other people. And I think it's super important though, and I'm telling you this 11 years down the road, that if you're in the middle of it, let God continue to work in you and through you in those moments. You know, and I think it's super important to realize that it's not something that you just get over. You don't get past it. That God continues to work through it. And the phrases that I've worked through it are, you know, it's okay to not be okay. You know, and I, I'll be honest with you, most people are surprised when I say that. When I say it to an officer, when I say it to a family, and they're going, but I'm supposed to appear to be okay, right? And then the answer is no. It's okay to share you're not okay because when you're in the midst of God's people, when you're in the midst of it, people are going, it's refreshing to know that those things happen. You know, and don't isolate yourself. That was the other thing was is that when we were kind of stuck in the hospital for those seven months, man, people reached out to us. People were you know, visiting us and bringing us meals over to the Ronald McDonald house. They would just do whatever they could um, in the midst of that. And so God has just kind of slowly showed me to be able to trust him in those things and that healing does come 
as you continue to share your story and, and you're not in charge of the time frame. And again, I, I'm just realizing that as, as I continue to walk in this, that God has a journey for me that I think that there's this stopping point when my son passed, but there's not an ending point that we're, we're in this moment of eternity that God's bringing healing in my life and he's helping me come alongside others uh, to be able to do that as well. Community is so important. I mean, everything the Bible talks about is supposed to be lived out in community, and and that's such a big part of your story. But how do we uh, move into a place where, I mean, community is messy. People are going to say stupid things. Like, there's just just rough parts about that. Uh, Specifically things like, you know, you might be uh, uh, dealing with, with this and then walk into your church where there's a bunch of pregnant women. What is it like then, or how do you wrestle with kind of those harsh realities that, that hit you in the middle of that? Can you walk us through that? Yeah. Um, not sure if you've ever felt a panic attack before, uh, but there's just that moment where you kind of kind of like you, like, okay, there's a baby crying. That was like to my wife, that was probably one of the, the most difficult ones was hearing a baby cry. Uh, to me was the idea of seeing a baby that was our son's age. So he passed away at the age of 15 months old. And I think that when you, you start to realize is you have to know that you have to anticipate that those things are going to affect you. But the reality is, is that you have to then accept to go, hey, that's beyond my control. I, a lot of the things that I'm learning are so beyond, like I give up control now to God much faster because there's moments where you see these amazing families and you go, I need to learn to celebrate people's lives and then I need to help them. And then, and then I also share, hey, just know that if I just weep, it's, it's not your fault <laughs> that I'm weeping. It's that God is allowing me to heal right now through the loss of my own son. And, you know, the same thing happened when we were fostering. We, we, we fostered a two-month-old, uh, and, and basically for the next 13 months, we had this privilege of fostering this little baby boy that started to call me, we call him Gaga, Dad. You know, and, and then at 15 months old, the same age that my son passed, we had to give him up to back to his family. And I just remember just weeping, but God taught me in that, that I can also hand a baby boy out that's healthy, that has been prayed for to a family that was hurting and in pain and that we still keep in contact today. And so he still comes to our house and hangs out and I get to be Gaga still to him um, in this season. And so I think it's okay, but just make sure that you understand that even if, you, if you're the person who has the child and is seeing someone weeping, don't be intimidated by that. They need to hear heal through that process if it's a loss of a child in that. And then my season, I've just learned to be okay. You know, and, and as, as each stage is going by, we have a friend that actually had a similar age son. And every time I, we actually still camp with them and I look at him, I'm like, huh, Christopher would probably be doing that too. You know, and I, and I reflect and I smile and I have moments of sadness. I take a deep breath and I say, God, thank you. And then I continue to keep moving uh, forward in that process. But it's not, again, it's, it's not easy, but it's because I feel like I've been able to share my story hundreds and hundreds of times with people who continue to give me a call and saying, can you have this conversation? Hey, I heard you've lost a child. And again, I, I, I sit back and I'm going, God, thank you that at this season I can say thank you that I have this testimony so I can come alongside other people. It's one of those things you wouldn't wish on anybody, but I know you also wouldn't trade what God has done through it for anything. Yeah, think about that for a moment. I never wanted this testimony. I would not say 11 years ago, God, I need a testimony of some tragic loss in my life. 
But here's the cool part, guys. This is how God works, and I still don't know how he works, but 11 years from now, 11 years ago, I would not think where I'm at and go, God, all of the ministry, all of the stories that he's put me with, that I would never be able to understand unless he puts me in that. And I know that one day in God's eternal plan that I will be with him, God, and I will be with my son and he will be showing me around saying, dad, let me show you the ropes here. And I'm comfortable in that. I'm not happy that it's there, but that God gives me that supernatural joy where I'm going in the middle of my pain. Cause I will tell you right now, I still grieve and I still think about him. And even in my Bible, I, I, when I, right before I preach, I look at his picture because that's part of my story is that I look at him and I say, God, thank you for that. And then I walk up and I go and do that. And that's how I continue to walk in that and be okay with that. But it's, 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 it's one of those weird moments where I know that God's in the middle of it, even though I'm still hurting through it. What's, what's something you would want us to take away from all this today? Like what, what's the point for you what do you want us to hear? Yeah. Um, one, man, church is messy. Be, be good with that. I, I, I think, I think we, we are afraid to share our stories. And I think it's super important that we understand that if when you begin to share your broken story, God is going to work through that and that he will begin to minister to other people in the process. So don't be afraid to share your story. Don't be afraid to weep because people need to see people weep. Jesus wept. We can weep. It's okay. And I think the other side is that when you can get to a point, and again, when it's time or if you've dealt with something, either you know someone who's grieving, is come alongside with them, and there is no words that you're going to bring that are going to bring comfort, but your presence can make a difference. Can you say that one more time? That needs no. to be heard again. I don't know how to say that again. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I would say no that there's words. no words. Yeah, there's no yeah. words that are going to bring healing. So don't try to bring, oh, let me show, let me get, I've, I've realized even as, it, as I step in, I go, I'm just there. And when it's time, if I need to say something, God will open the door. And so we need to remember that we need to just, our presence is more powerful than our words sometimes when we're dealing with grief. And then when the moment happens, God will maybe allow you to share your story with other people. Um, and when you do that, man, I think it's the most perfect picture of what the church looks like, you know, is when we are able to go around and say, how are you doing today? And it's not fine. Okay. You know, I'm just, it's more like, I'm not okay. And people are like, how can I pray for you? Man, that is like the most powerful place that you can be. And that's the church you want to be a part of, that you can really just share your brokenness and go, man, I'm glad I'm here on the journey with you. Let's walk. Yeah. I think there's, uh, I've talked to a lot of people who have said, one of the reasons they don't like doing that is because they feel like that the person that's always the downer, they're the ones that are always complaining. Mm -hmm. But I think that's because we don't, we're, we're not used to opening ourselves up to what it really looks like to be broken and creating space and room in a family. If we're truly going to be family, that means we have to create space for us to be not okay for even long periods of time and not be worried about being that person, but be willing to put ourselves out there so that someday, maybe 11 years later, God can redeem 
our story. And I think that's really, that's the crux of this, isn't it? I mean, you look at the, the story that we see with David and Bathsheba, it starts with such a horrific beginning. And yeah, there's sin and there's brokenness and there's messed up stuff that's there. But what we see is hope. We see that David says, I understand that the true hope is that there's a future. There's a promise of restoration and healing. That, that we have been saved, we are being saved, and someday God will set all things right because God didn't introduce sin to this world, we did. God didn't introduce death to this world, we did. And God has a plan and a purpose to restore it. That the gospel is that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. And what we've sat and listened to is the restoration and the healing over a long period of time in Pastor Chris's life that really shows the investment that God has continued to do in him, the restorative work that we get to hold on to as hope for our lives as well. And while each of our, our Job moments may look vastly different, the hope is the same hope for you as it is for me, as it is for the rest of us. And so thank you for sharing your story this morning, Chris. I love you, man. Um, took away a couple things. Um, most important is that the interim pastor you had grew your church while you weren't there. And I'm really glad it was me. So I'm glad. I, That's right. um, it's been a pleasure to serve you over the years. And, uh, and, and your story, as it has many others, has, has changed lives. Um, I remember people coming to know Jesus at baby Christopher's funeral. There's something powerful. 14 people came to know Jesus at a funeral. There's something powerful about that. Isn't that amazing? So thank you. Thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for your faithfulness. Can we thank Pastor Chris for his time? guys grab these chairs off the stage and the worship team will make its way up but father thank you that even though we don't always understand why you do the things that you do that your ways are better than our ways god we thank you for the pain and the brokenness in our life for the things that we suffer through the trials that we endure some of the things have come because of our choices and frankly some of the things have come because of the choices of others some of the pain we've experienced just has no explanation whatsoever. But we want to believe that in all of this, that you have your hand on us, that you have not forgotten. We know that your word, it never comes back unfulfilled, that your promises are true, that you have promised to never leave us or forsake us, that you haven't promised that everything will be good or easy, but that you've promised that everything will work out for our best good. And this has been a perfect example of that this morning. Lord, we pray that we would be the type of family who can be honest with each other and honest with you that we can wrestle through our brokenness together, that we can create space and room for us to hurt, but also for us to heal. And so would you continue to be the one who heals in this place? Thank you for what Chris said, that we aren't here to fix each other. We're not here to even fix ourselves, but we're here to be in your presence as the one who is the great healer, the great fixer, the great physician. And so we trust you with ourselves. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.